Okay, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Jesus has recently been uh, uh, rejected now, not just by the Pharisees, but by the Jewish masses. There are so many people, it says in the beginning of Luke chapter 12, around that they're just stepping on one another. Yet he was focused in only speaking to a group of his disciples, though there were masses, and he was just focusing on his disciples. And now someone from the crowd shouts out to him. Now, just to review, ever since the unpardonable sin that had happened about a year earlier, Jesus no longer addresses the masses except in parables. And it said that after that unpardonable sin, he would only speak to the, the, the masses of people in parables, but to his disciples he would explain all things. And so here he is speaking with his disciples and somebody from the crowd shouts out. And it says in verse 13 of Luke chapter 12, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of, the rich, of, a, rich, the, the land of a rich man was very productive, And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, so looking back at verse 13, so this man in the crowd shouts out and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family. So here's so many people, they're just stepping on each other. And this guy has just probably been through a real argument with his brother, and he says, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. This happens as a father of children. Sometimes one child will say, tell, tell the other child to do this. So, so they want the parent to be the one to tell the other child. Or uh, uh, tell the person to do this. So this is, this is a common thing that you appeal to somebody that you think might have more influence to speak what you want on your behalf. And so it's interesting what Jesus says. Now, it is not wrong, and it was not wrong in those days for people to appeal to Jesus to be an arbitrator because it, it talks about in Psalm 72, verses 1 and 2, about how the Messiah, how the son of the, the great king, the, the Messiah, would be an arbitrator. But remember, Jesus had been rejected, so he was no longer acting as Messiah to the masses in that sense. He had withdrawn from that. He was just speaking to his disciples. And also the masses had recently rejected him. Because remember, the, the unpardonable sin is that saying that, that Jesus, when he was physically present, saying that he was demon-possessed. And so this was the unpardonable sin that Jesus then spoke over them. And the only way that he will be restored, the scriptures say, is that when the Israelites, when the Jews, welcome him back with repentance for what they had done, and then he will return. And this is why, 
we, we have uh, uh, this outreach to Jews, which we feel is very important in the sense that, that when there is an appeal to say, Lord, look what we have done, forgive us, when that happens from the Jewish nation at large, from the Jewish leadership, it says the Lord will return. There is that stipulation upon His second coming. There is no such stipulation upon the rapture. That can occur at any time. That is the taking of believers from this earth. But there is that stipulation, that prerequisite prior to His second coming. That's what the Scriptures tell us. But here, this man cries out to Him and he asks Him to do something in a judicial sense to tell his brother to share the inheritance with him. Look what Jesus' response is. He says, But He said to him, Man... Who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? It's interesting that if anybody could have arbitrated, it is Jesus. Jesus knows everything. Jesus knows all. Jesus knows how much money is involved, how much should go to one party, what would be right, what would be in accordance with the law, what would be fair, what would be righteous. Who knows better than Jesus? Yet Jesus makes a decision to not get involved in that case. I think that is tremendous instruction. When you are being drawn into a family argument that doesn't involve you, be very careful. There are instances in my life where where one member of a family has appealed to me to intercede on behalf of another member of the family. So this is outside my immediate family. This is a brother-in-law and a sister-in-law and then things that they're going through. And, and I want no part of it because I know it's a no-win situation. If I take her side, I've offended the other side. If I take his side, I've offended the other side. There is no win. And sometimes we feel like, oh, let me go in and straighten this out. Look at what Jesus did. Jesus had nothing to do with that affair even though he knew better than we will ever know how to arbitrate in a situation. When we are pulled into family problems, we want to be very careful about how we deal with it. There's, an, in fact, a, 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 uh, an interesting passage in Proverbs 26, verse 17. Proverbs 26, 17 says, Like one who takes a dog by the ears, is he who passes by and meddles with stripes not belonging to him. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty clear. It says it's like grabbing a dog by the ears. If you, if you meddle with strife that, that you have really nothing to do with. So you want to be really careful. That doesn't mean that you can't just give advice to somebody in a situation. But to really get between them, you really want to pray about this. Is this your role? This has saved me from so much trouble. From staying back from situations, family situations that I had nothing to do with, and, and just stay out of it. Because those that get involved, it's like grabbing a dog by the ears. Um, uh, you're going to get bitten. And so then Jesus, instead of addressing this directly, he starts to address the underlying cause. And then he says to them in verse 13, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So he says, beware and be on your guard. I mean, this is like Jesus waving a red flag and then waving another one. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Every form of greed. You think, oh well, greed only happens to the rich people. No way. Greed happens 
to everybody because our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are wicked. And we have to be careful of greed. He says, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Then he goes on and he starts telling a parable because to the masses he will only speak in parables. And so here's what he says. In verse 16, the land of a rich man was very productive. Okay, so, so far, so good. No sin there. The land of a rich man was very productive. No problem. So the land was productive. There's been no sin. The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Nothing wrong there. Business becomes productive. What do I do with this inflow? What should I do with it? And so he says, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. Again, no problem. You've got a business and it's growing. You've got to do something. You've got to do something with, with the things that you're getting. And he says, I'm a farmer got a productive land, I've got to be able to store the grain in his goods. His barns are too small, so he's going to build bigger ones. Again, there's no sin in that. He's just doing what he needs to do. And so, so he says, uh, I'll build bigger barns and larger ones. And then in verse 19, 19 is where the problem starts. So in verse 19, the problem starts. He says, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's where the problem started. That's where it started to kick in, the real problem here. Because he's saying, what can I do for myself to set myself in a comfortable place where I will be solely taken care of? That's the problem. He says, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? And, and uh, so, so, that very night, God called him. God called, that was it. That was the end of his life. And so God, God said, you fool. So God calls him that. You know, in, in the Old Testament, there's a classic verse. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So totally outside, there's no vision of God. This is what Jesus says, be on your guard with. Remember things around God. There's this huge basis that we make decisions that are based around God. And the more money that you will make, some of you, someday will be very rich. That is for sure. Some of you will be very rich. And, and uh, you'll be CEOs, or you'll be you know, high up in companies. Remember this. Be rich toward God. There is no sin in being rich. In fact, what did Paul instruct? What did Paul instruct Timothy to tell rich people? He never... He, 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 look in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Here's the instruction in the New Testament church. This is the instruction to rich people. And he's telling Timothy, who's this pastor of a church, 
who is this, his disciple whom he loves. This is his instruction to rich people. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to, to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. The last thing that I want for rich people is to give away all their money. No, I want them to continue to make money. Continue to stay in that capacity to make money and use that to build the body of Christ. Use that to develop the things of God. Use that to bless in that way. And this is what he tells them. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world. Talking about rich people. He says, just don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches because it can go away. But fix your hope on God who supplies you with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good. But this whole part of enjoyment, I have many rich friends. And it's interesting, when we get to talking, they want what I have. And I have no interest in what they have. Because they have all these things that they've got to look after. And all these toys. And all these great things, which for them is fine. I would hate to have to look after it. The more stuff that I have, the more stuff that I've got to keep repaired and keep fixed and, and, and worry about people stealing it. <laughs> he, says that, he says, God can teach you how to richly enjoy things. How to really enjoy things. And, and you think about it. Have you ever had buyer's remorse? Have you ever felt, you know, I really need to get something? And you get it and you're like... I don't really need it. That's, that's happened to you? Yeah, with shoes or... With shoes, yeah. yeah. And, and so, so that happens. You get buyer's remorse because you see that, okay, I've got this. Now what? Now what do I do with this? And, and, and uh, because God teaches you how to enjoy things. God teaches you that. And, then it, and, it, and it says, uh, instruct them to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Take this and do good and be generous, ready to share. This is what brings life indeed. This is what brings life. It is the generosity, being generous. There is no sin in riches. In fact, the Bible doesn't say uh, uh, money is the root of all sorts of evil. It says the desire for money is the root of all sorts of evil. It's not money in itself. It says, go and bless people. Bless people with it. And it says, be generous and ready to share. Storing up, and he says, in doing this, you're going to store up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Do you see? Life indeed is not in the money. It's in the treasure of the things in the future. You... You get all this stuff and you sit by the swimming pool at, 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 at the country club and you complain because the, the iced tea that they brought you is too sweet. Or something. You see, or I broke my fingernail. Can you believe it? I just broke my fingernail. Just, just, everything's just terrible in life. This is what happens when you have everything. That you learn 
what is life indeed. You're building for a foundation for the future in generosity. This is what he's speaking about. There was no sin in that man. His farm being productive. His having to build more storehouses for this. The problem was his not being rich toward God. And so, and, and the, the sin was, was in not being rich toward God. And then he says, store up for the future. So let's go back and let, let's look at this, this portion in, in Luke again. In Luke chapter 12. So you see where the sin came in, where he said, I'm going to take my ease of things. So in verse 19 of Luke chapter 12, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It was all about me, my soul, my pleasure. It's all about me. Let me tell you what the things that I've seen in life, but let me first couch this in something in this generous man called Abram or Abraham. If you turn to the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, book of Genesis chapter 13, Abraham was a very wealthy man. Before he was named Abraham, he was named Abram. And Abram, um, Abram was a very wealthy man and he had a nephew named Lot. And Lot also was wealthy. And so in, in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 13, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev and he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. And he went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great, they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. Okay, so what's the situation here? Abram refers to Lot, he says, you're my brother. But really, we learned earlier to this that Lot is his nephew. So Abram is, Abram is more senior. There's not enough vegetation in the land of Canaan to sustain both of, of, both of, uh, of, both of them, their riches in, in livestock. And if you look at the land of Canaan, it's not, like, uh, you know, it's not like Tennessee or Virginia as far as foliage. I mean, there, you, you, know, you, you can keep it like, like, like a head of cattle in about 10 square feet. And they, they eat just fine. I mean, there's so much vegetation. I mean, things are kind of sparse over there because they don't get as much rain. 
So he says, we can't, we can't stay together. And the herdsmen were arguing. And he says, let there be no argument between us. You choose. You choose where you want to go. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now remember, Abram's the senior one here. Lot's the younger one. Abram actually had great power. He had great riches. And in fact, he was able to assemble just from his workers uh, quite a substantial group of fighting men because we see that that he's ultimately going to have to go and deliver uh, uh, Lot after he's taken But you see what Lot did. Lot being younger and less experienced in this, Lot looked up and he saw this Jordan Valley that was well watered by the Jordan River and it was so much greener. And he said to Abram, Oh, uh, I think I'll go over there. And Abram said, Okay, I'll go the other direction. I mean, this was a gracious and a giving man. Lot ends up going and moving into the city of Sodom and his daughters became, he and his daughters ended up in quite wickedness because of the things that they had learned in Sodom. Greed actually set up Lot to destroy his family. His family was destroyed through this. His daughters' lives were destroyed. In fact, his daughters had learned things in that city that you don't even like to have to speak about. Because his daughters ended up getting him drunk one night and sleeping with him. Lot's daughters slept with their own father by getting him drunk. And and, uh, uh, you have the the two two groups of people that form out of those children that, that resulted from that. I have seen in my own life, I've seen... In my little world, my chemical world, I remember when I was a a graduate student, there was this professor who was just so dominant, and his program was taking off, and and, uh, he could just, you know, pound his fist, and everybody would just stop. And he he got the department to get him these really nice laboratories, built up this thing, and I I remember I went in his office one day, and he he had all these huge saltwater fish tanks, and all these gadgets, and all these things. Then I just watched his life over a decade and over two decades where he had amassed everything for himself and how poorly it went for him and, and uh, um, how he built himself a, a, a grand home on a hill and, and how hard it was, his life. I'd met another man that, that uh, um, when I was a, a, a postdoc, same sort of thing, a very dominant person, always using department resources for himself and for his own group and, and never for others. And I saw the results of that. I, see the, I have seen the results of people being generous and open and people being greedy. Those who are dominant, you will find them. You will find them in the workplace. This is mine. This is my area. And I'm going to control this. You watch them over a period of like a decade. They will have very hard lives. Jesus said, when you go and you start saying, this is mine and it's all for me, and you forget this sense of God, you're going to be without so much in life. God has so much more for you that transcends these temporal things that are here. In fact, you will find that the more money you make, the harder it will be to raise your children and the more arguments you will have in your home concerning money. It should be the other way around. 
is you can get your kids whatever they want, and, and uh, there's always plenty of money to go around. So why would there be arguments about money? Go and speak with counselors, people who counsel other people. The more money there is, the more problems there are in the home. The way you mitigate that, it's not that, oh, I won't make any more money. It's you learn to be generous. You learn to be generous. Teach your children to be generous. And this is how you mitigate those problems that could arise. This is how you curtail those problems. It is through acts of generosity. The pastor shared a couple of weeks ago how a couple took he and his wife out to dinner and uh, uh, so the couple, so the pastor and his wife, Roger and his wife, were out to dinner with this couple. This couple says, we're going to give $6 million to the church. The Lord has really blessed us. And he said, $1 million is for CASA, the CASA of Buena Samaritana, that, that uh, program where we have that, that medical outreach here in town. And, and uh, uh, $5 million is for the development of the church. And Roger, right away, took a tenth of that $500,000 and distributed it to the different ministries with which we're partnered and the ministries that the missionaries are part of. And then he just started deploying the money in outreach. Let's deploy it in outreach. It's not building grand edifices here or big towers here. It says let's just start putting it to work to touch people. I don't know who that family is, who that couple is, but their mind is in the right direction. As you learn to be gracious, as you learn to give, that is what will bring, as Jesus said, and as, as Paul wrote, life indeed. This will bring life indeed, as you learn to be gracious and you be generous. Now, what does that have to do with you as a college student because you've got $40 in savings? Okay, this is what it has to do with you. It starts now. You learn to tithe now. And you say, well, you know, tithe, that's so Old Testament. Okay, let's do New Testament. It says they gave all. Okay, you want to do New Testament? All right, we'll do New Testament. All right, so, and, and a tithe is Old Testament. It's a place to start. So you take 10% of what you have, and you be sure to give it away. You say, well, I only got $40. Okay, so you're going to have $36 now. All right? You give away 10%. And then when you get, you get in this practice of giving away. When I was an undergrad, I got a summer job at Carrier Corporation. And, uh, you know, just boom, 10%. Just started giving. Just started tithing. And God blesses. This is a great place to start. It teaches you how to be less selfish. And, that's the, and it makes you then a better spouse in the future. When you've learned how to be less selfish. And then what's going to happen is when you graduate, you're going to get this job and you're going to make some of you, like some engineers, you might start at $75,000 or $80,000 a year. And they're like, I'm supposed to tithe on this? I mean, come on. You will see it, when you make more money, it is harder to tithe. It is harder to tithe. The more money you make, it is harder. You'd think it'd be easier. It is not. But you give 10% from the beginning. Give 10%. And then, when you graduate, you will find that there are others of, of, of your, your fellow students that are going off to work for, say, crew for, for a year, or going off to East Asia for a year as a missionary. Help support them. Help support them. 
just as people helped to support you when you did your mission things. Help to support them. That means above your tithe, take some more money and give it to them. Remember, tithe is the start. It starts here. It starts now. Or else, when you are rich, you will never give. If you haven't started giving, when you are rich, you will never give. And if you think I'm wrong, you are wrong. Because I have seen this many times. You give now. You start to give now and you be generous. You be generous with what you have and God's blessing will come upon you. And as it's written in 1 Timothy, you will experience life indeed. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the outpouring of Jesus Christ to fall on these young people. The outpouring of God to fall upon them. Father, I pray that you would teach them from this young age to be generous with what they have. To be generous. Father, that they wouldn't amass things for themselves. That they wouldn't be greedy, but they would remember the story of Abram. How he said, you choose. You take the portion that you want. And then I will take what's left over. Father, that they would learn from the story of Abram. Graciousness. Giving. Father, the grace of God be upon them, I pray. Take hold of their young hearts. Transform them to be more like Jesus. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.